Welcome to the ministry of Mercy Seat Ministries and evangelist Pat and Karen Jackson. We believe that the message you are about to hear will mightily change your life. Open your heart, mind, and spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. We must declare it to the next generation. I must take you on a journey for a moment. I told you that the Greg Bill made the statement, the sin of this age is to make sin normal and what? Anybody remember? And righteousness weird. That's the sin of this age. I told you there's a book you need to get seven men that rule the world from the grave. They still speak into your every day from Nietzsche to Freud. Because these seven men have determined humanism in our generation. And they have determined no absolute truth. They've determined all the things that we battle with every day. It started in the late 1800s when Nietzsche wrote a book about life is gay. He wasn't using the gay term that we think of today. What I did, I did a study on all these humanists. Wrote about it in my book, my apologetic series on how to defend your faith. I have no idea what they did with it. Here it is, the Taken series, which has a CD-ROM for youth pastors to teach. Everything from Christianity versus secular humanism. See, we have been dumb. I was a dumb youth pastor. All I did was knew how to preach, don't have sex, God. Oh, please don't do that because it's on me and it's my responsibility and I feel guilty for your children. And, and don't go out and get drunk. God, don't get drunk because we love to preach. All, that's, all we, that's all I knew how to preach on. I mean, I'd pull a scripture out and I could tie it to sex at some point. And that's all I knew in the early years of youth ministry. All, but nobody ever taught me how to defend my faith. And when Nate was getting ready to go to all these universities to play football and they were recruiting him and they were smooching him and they were sending him gifts that they weren't supposed to send him and all this stuff. And then all these presidents were saying to me, we're going to teach Nate how to think correctly. And I went, oh my God, I failed him. I prepared him for high school but because I had my thumb on him, but I failed him for secular college. He's going to go in there and in the first 101 class, get his world messed up. He's going to start doubting everything we poured into him, just like 86% of a generation does. And I went back and I began to study the fathers of humanism, which is all Hinduism, by the way. It's the coexist spirit. You know the coexist spirit, right? You got that? If you got, uh, did you, do you have that with you? You know, it's the coexist bumper sticker that's everywhere that basically some of you heard me talk about this, that it drives me crazy. I see it everywhere. In fact, Abby, my little girl, saw it on somebody's t-shirt and walked up to her in the airport and told her it was a horrible, an, old, an older lady said, that's a horrible shirt. And I said, Abigail, come here. She walked over to me. I said, let me go buy you something. That's her love language. She just, but it was cute last night because we were on the phone with her, and we said, Abby, what do, you want, what, what do you want us to do when we get home? She said, I want mommy to lay down and you to lay on top of her, and I'll get on top of you, and we'll build a mountain of love. <laughs> and Karen and I both went, well, that's awkward. <laughs> but she loves it when we're wrestling, and she can jump on us, her little Asian self. She tries to give us massages and breaks our backs, and that's our family. It went weird for a minute, but let's pull out of that. And... Um, But the number one bumper sticker in America, basically, I've seen it in every state. I've seen it on church vans because they're fools. There's that Oprah doctrine that says everything's the same. This is, where, this is called one world religion. This is where the world's going. This is being espoused from the White House. We're all the same. 
let's apologize to the Muslims for killing our people in Egypt and in Libya and let's not offend anybody so we have a doctrine being presented from our nation that we are weak I'm not going to get into politics because Jesus wasn't a donkey or an elephant he was a king but I will tell you he votes for babies told me Pat, you know why I hate abortion? This is three or four weeks ago I was praying. I hate abortion so bad because when I'm knitting them together in a secret place, which sometimes we forget there's still a secret place he likes to take us to to sew us back together. He still has his knitting needle. But while he's knitting, he prophesies over them. So the minute they are aborted and sucked out of some woman's, some mama's body, they are suddenly, he's prophesying their future and then they're standing in front of him. He's like, but I had plans. Welcome to heaven. Let's worship. Number one bumper sticker in America is the coexist bumper sticker. You know, Islam, Buddhism, science, Judaism, paganism, Wiccan, Christianity, they're all the same. And when I was writing this whole series on how to defend your faith, apologetics is not John 3.16. You walk into a professor's class and throw out the Bible, he'll laugh at you and tell you that's a piece of history that was fiction. But when you walk in with apologetics, which is truth, which is prescription, and when you begin to defend the faith of who Jesus is, and the last thing you have to do is throw scripture. It's the very last thing. It proves everything we do. Science is a smile on God's creation. It's the smile. It proves everything. But I'll never forget when I was studying this, and I was getting angry and angry, and all of a sudden I, I looked over and I went, Lord, this makes me so mad. I was writing this series and taught it in front of, I've taught it in front of a lot, but on evolution. Uh, if evolution was real, I'd be taller. Be able to take Timothy McCain down in basketball. I mean, when I get to heaven, you're going to be so white. You watch. I'm going to be black. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and, but, but I began to study this, and, and all of a sudden, the Lord said, don't get mad. They preached my gospel. Look, they ended with Ishmael, but they ended with Isaac. Don't get mad, Pat. Look what they did. You can try Islam. and See, that's that Oprah doctrine. Everything's the same. We're all together. But he said, don't get mad, Pat, because look what they did. Islam, you can try Islam, Buddhism, science, Judaism, paganism, Wiccan. By the way, that's all Hinduism. It's all, if you put it all together, it's the oldest world religion. He said, but look, Pat, they don't even know what they're doing. They said they started with Ishmael, but they ended with Isaac. They didn't even know what they're doing, Pat. I was sitting there writing this whole series, and he said, look, they ended with the cross because you can try all these things but sooner or later you're going to end up at the cross because every knee shall bow every tongue confess it are you getting this so far when you walk out of this conference i don't just want you to be healed on the inside i don't want you to just be on fire on the inside i want you to have resources do you hear me no more dumb youth pastors when a kid comes to you and says i'm battling homosexuality you're going to tell him he's dirty because you're going to do to him what the father the fathers in their life did you're going to wrap your arms around him and say, come here, I want, to, I want to help you find proper identity. Because if you study the fathers of humanism, every single one, fathers of false religions, every single one did not have a dad. In fact, Nietzsche, the father of secular humanism, his father was a preacher and beat him. And died when he was young. Anyway, this, this is out on the table back there. If you need it, the series, it has a CD-ROM, World Religions. You better know who you're voting for. Well, well the, the one guy, he kind of stands for what I believe in. Well, Mormonism is a cult, folks. Where's Andrew? Where's Andrew? Is he in here? Is it, is it a cult? You live in the city where it's the biggest. Salt Lake City. That is your number one battle, isn't it? 
because it is a pig with lipstick. That's what y'all have to battle with every day. That's why I love going there. I'll never forget I was at your church. and You remember when this happened? We were having this big youth prayer meeting with Tom Crandall. Tom's a youth pastor now at Bethel. And it's a couple of years ago, and, and uh, maybe three years ago. And I went walking back to the back to go call Karen. Were, were you with me, Jay? Were, Jamie, were you with me? And anyway, I stepped across this threshold. It's where the original sanctuary was built for that church, the very original sanctuary. When they came to combat Mormonism and where they used to pray, I walked right through the altar area. There was a line, and you know, you can tell when buildings have been connected. And I go to step across it. Students are praying, and this aroma hits me, and I'm like, oh my. And it was the sweetest smell I've ever smelled. And I tried to dismiss it, and I went, went to go call Karen to tell her goodnight. And if I'm ever at your church and I leave at 10 p.m., don't ask me where I'm going. I'm going to call my family, tell them I love them, and pray over them, and I'll be back. And, um, but all of a sudden, I, I, I couldn't go any farther, and I went and got Tommy, the youth pastor, Tom Crandall. And I said, Tom, do you, come here. He walked, he went, oh my gosh. Then we went and got students and brought them to the center of this area. And they began to wail the aroma of God. And one kid was in the very back and he's like, what? And I said, take one step forward. He stepped up. And the aroma of God hit him. I love services like that. That you didn't have nothing to do with it. We must. Okay. Um, There's a message in here on homosexuality. It's not mean. I just rewrote my chapter on homosexuality in my book called born this way because the enemy's a liar but I listened to a guy named Cy Rogers who rocked my world concerning homosexuality changed my life I called my editor I said I gotta rewrite my book we were both speaking at the National Youth Leaders Conference I said I gotta rewrite a chapter my chapter sounds too mean there's a message on abortion in here <gasps> the number one age group in, 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 in the church now if you've heard me say this don't, don't share it but Somebody tell me what the number one age group for abortion in the church is. Anybody know? Anybody know? What, what do you think it is? Somebody help me. Anybody? 12 to 17? Is that what you think? 35 to 42. It's mamas that find out they're going to have another baby and they don't want to deal with it. And so they sit in church with the inner scream of death. You've got to walk them to healing. You've got to let them see that baby dancing in heaven. Or they will die with holes in their belly. Anyway, that's on the table back there. If you buy something, buy anything, you, you'll get another one free, I guess. Let's do it that way today. And Anybody want this real quick, the Taken series? Take that, take that and listen to that. It's got a CD-ROM with the notes on it in the back you can print off. There's all kinds of stuff on our table back there. I want you to check out Karen's message, uh, A Woman of Purpose, Confessions of a Shopaholic. That will rock your world. Um, Lighten your home. Anybody want this real quick? Come help me, forerunners. I don't know where you're at. I don't know why you're not up here. You know the rules. And uh, uh, there you go. Give that to somebody. Raise your hand. I'm going to give stuff away today real quick. Um, Ah, for ministers only, the Jonah factor. If you hear this, you will wail. You will hear youth pastors in Singapore wailing. This was just a few months ago. Man in the Shadows, Molting Season. Marriage, there's three CDs in here that Jeannie Mayo and I did together. We do phone calls together with people. And, and uh, anywhere, but is Tim walking here? Where's Tim at? Tim, Tim, he already, okay. He was on a call that I had to, we did on marriage. Karen and I did it with Jeannie Mayo. And, and uh, so the, listen, you're listening to a phone call. Uh, preaching with a purpose, brand new message. Some of you need someone to mentor you in preaching. I was gonna do that today and I decided not to. If you need to be mentored in preaching, listen to this sermon. It will remove all your fear. 
And uh, by the way, if you didn't get that CD-ROM that we passed out with all my sermons on it, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get that. Uh, it's got every sermon I've ever wrote on it. Every sermon Karen's ever wrote, all our books, our manuals. Uh, they're going to go get that. And I'll have you raise your hand again in a second. But this is for ministers. Anybody want this real quick? Grab that. Uh, hold your hand up. We'll give that away. Um, oh, Revelation series. You do understand. You do realize. Now, you know that the Old Testament is Christocentered. The Old Testament preaches the New Testament, right? You do understand we are in the last days. Now, do I believe Jesus is coming back right now? Many will tell you that when I found that thing in my yard that fell out of the tornado. How many of you heard about the thing that fell out of my yard in the middle of a tornado last year? It was laying in my front yard. One piece of paper that fell out of a book written in 1974 called Armageddon, the Middle East and the Oil Crisis. This was laying in my front yard. And all it says was, and it's the only thing that fell out of the tornado. The tornado went over our house that destroyed 200 or killed 220 and destroyed thousands of homes. My brother's city was wiped out first. And this is laying in my front yard the next day. Young man found it right where I park, and it just says, topping even these disasters will come a world war. You need to understand. I went to my prayer room. It was the night David Wilkerson died, one of my heroes that I preached for. And I'm laying on my face, and I said, God, why don't you give me this? And he said to me, he said, be a voice to a generation. I didn't understand that. Who did David Wilkerson spend the last 30 years of his life ministering to? You. Ministers. We must tell them we're running out of time. Our Revelation series. Some of you have no idea. You went through Master's Commission and you can't even, you don't, you don't even know, you don't even look at the book of Revelation. It's just weird. I went to college and didn't learn about Revelation. So I went to a deep study on Revelation. Grab that if you want to grab it. It's on the table. Anybody want this real quick? We'll, we'll give that away. And then, and then let, me, let me teach on this though. There's all the stuff's back there. I've got to teach on this because the Lord spoke to me this morning that I must teach on this. He began to speak to me some things. And, and I, I'm not going to go real long because Jamie Montero is going to share next. And many of you know Jamie. Where's Jamie at? Jay, raise your hand. One of the great evangelists in America. We've done this thing together. We have run. We have preached in Alaska together. We've preached in Singapore together. We, we are brothers for life. When we met, God said, help him launch the nations. And he's surpassed what I've done. I mean, he's just blowing it up. And he and Shelly are gifts to us. You're going to hear from him in just a moment, a really powerful word. But we switched the schedule around this morning because I really felt in my spirit. And by the way, if, if you've got a, uh, one of those cards, please fill it out. And on the back, tell me what God did. Tell me what God did. Because... Um, it's, we need to know it. We need to know what's going on. In fact, Pastor Jim Hennessy right here is even starting a network. I would love to send you information about that. I probably will. So fill it out completely. But I want you to understand something. I went and took my little girl to see The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Unbelievable movie. Kind of weird. Makes you want to be an environmentalist for a moment. And my daughter-in-law is. She, she, and she, she is not a weird environmentalist. She believes in protecting babies, but she loves trees. We joke with her about it all the time. I'll walk up to her and say, I'm going to cut a tree down just to make her mad. She loves trees. Nothing wrong with it. She's helping reshape me a little bit. And I walked out of the movie from seeing The Odd Life of Timothy Green, and Abby's holding my hand. If you've not seen the movie at the very end, there's something really cool that happens. I don't want to ruin it for you, but with an aging child. And my little girl looks at me. She's holding my hand. She goes, Daddy. And I said, what? Because Disney is, and DreamWorks are so stupid about adoption. Everything they, they create is stupid. 
Kung Fu Panda 2, I wrote them a letter, told them that they were idiots. I did. Because my little girl got in the car after Kung Fu Panda 2 and said, is that what happened to my parents? And we sat in the parking lot of a movie theater for three hours because she wept. And it's the first time at, at nine years old she was exposed to adoption. And I went home and wrote an email to DreamWorks and said, you are fools. Because 6,000 babies a month come into this country from another country. And they're looking for moms and dads. And they don't need you to define their purpose. There's some things I get angry about. Injustice. But we're walking out of the odd life of Timothy Green. And all of a sudden, Abby's got me by the hand. And she, can, can I tell you something, Daddy? And I mean, seriously, whatever she wants, I buy it. And she goes, I'm so glad you adopted me. Karen is standing there. And we just, tears, we're still crying from the movie. And I looked over and I said, baby, you're no longer adopted. You're my blood. Follow me. One of the things that I've loved about Glenn Berto in my life and Jim Hennessy in my life and some of the fathers you've gotten to hear from George Sawyer is they've never treated me like adoption, but they've treated me like blood. My goal for you the next few minutes is when you walk out of here to feel what it feels that you're not fatherless. I went to Pastor Hennessy last night. We went to what? He was out of the football game for a few minutes. I went out to, to, to for Nate because, gosh, it just does something for Nate when he sees me out there. And he said, I kept looking for you. And, and, but I walked up to Pastor Hennessy, Pastor Jim, and I said, we've got to do this in the quadrants of America, the four corners of America. We've got to go to the cities where the gates are. There's gate cities. Salt Lake is a gate city. San Francisco's a gate city. New York's a gate city. Boston's a gate city. Miami's a gate city. Study the gate cities because if you'll study them, God will show you where the gates are. And the only key that will open a gate is Ramah. Why would he say to Nehemiah, rebuild the gates for two reasons? He understood if you'll put the gates back up, not everybody can get in, but if you'll put the gates back up, he'll give you the keys to find the treasure hidden and buried in Jerusalem. Are you with me? I, I gotta hurry. I, I'm always amazed how God does things because suddenly these are always preceded by obedience. I was out jogging in Singapore back in November, and I was just weeping because the night before I had done this leadership thing, and, and I said, how many of you have been raised and you're the only saved person in your family, your first generation? And all of a sudden, 90% of the room raised their hand there of all these leaders, a couple hundred leaders in Singapore. Their first generation. I started weeping because Jamie's been there with me. We, he's gone there. I've gone there. We've been to these places. And that means they trip over Hindu statues and Buddhas when they go in. And mom and dad are putting cookies by Buddha. And, and, and Singapore, they speak English, so we love to go there. It's English. We love to make fun of them. Because um, all you can do is add law at the end of anything and you're anointed. And I started weeping. And I was, next morning I was jogging on the seashores of Singapore and looking at the ships coming in. And, you know, that's what ministry is. It's shipping and receiving. The problem is we, sometimes we give away what we're supposed to keep in the hole. And then and, um, and you don't have nothing for you. And, and I'm out running and I said, Lord, I want to be the first one to finish the race. And he said, Pat, I'm not looking for those that finish the race first. I'm looking for those that can finish the race with a limp called brokenness. It's the furnace of affliction. Scars on earth. Some of you heard Karen say that scars on earth are testimonies in heaven. 
And what you got to realize is I must share something that I've shared before, but the Lord spoke this to me. Because you know what I've learned? Listen to me. This is critical. This is critical. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. True revelation is to live. Oh, my God. Nobody ever told me that. True revelation is to live. I want to walk into heaven with that limp called brokenness. But you know what true revelation is? My little girl, the odd life of Timothy Green, just saying, Daddy, can I tell you something? What is it? What is it, baby? We're crying. I mean, that movie jacked us up, and Karen's crying, and we didn't know that an Asian child would come out at the very end. And, and I looked down at Abby. She said, can I tell you something? I said, what? First time she's ever said, I'm so proud to be adopted. What you want me to buy you? I'll buy you anything last night Abby what do you want us to do Friday night I want you to lay down I want mommy to lay on top of you I thought it was going really weird I was going to like it for a minute but and then she said and then I want to jump on top of both of you well that's cheap okay so when I get home tonight I'm going to tackle Karen and Abby will get on top of us she lives for that when you get home tonight you're married if you're not married don't do this be awkward looking around going dude can I tackle you you get home tonight let your kids see you wrestle let them see you kiss let them see you dance let them see you do awkward things that makes them feel weird that they really like Nate's friends were in high school. Oh, I'm going to tell you a story that I'll probably... <laughs> we're in the car. Abby's in her car seat. Three big football players are in the back of the car. We're going somewhere. Nate's in high school. I go to put my arm around Karen. And Abby's in her car seat. And she goes, ooh, daddy's going to cop a feel. <laughs> and Nate's in the back and he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome to the Adams family. <laughs> Let me share this really quick, and I want to give it to Jamie to bring some word about mentoring, but I don't want you to leave here. See, what I've learned is in all those high school football games, and even in college, when Nate would sack somebody when he won Defensive Player of the Year, all that stuff, and he's, he's a little guy now, but he was about 225. But he'd come running off the field, and there could be 10,000, 20,000 people at his games, Big 6A High School. But he would come running off the field and he'd be looking. And all I would do is, some of y'all know, what's that stand for? Fist in the air, right? He'd see that. It's our black power thing. We do that because I'm, I know it's awkward, but I'm going to be black in heaven and Timothy's going to be white. And I'm going to look up at him and go, dude, you have no rhythm. <laughs> I just went through the wrong painting room in heaven. That's all that happened. I got lost. I've been lost my whole life. I got lost in college. Or class, I'd sit in the wrong classes. The time I was working for George Sawyer, Pastor Sawyer, I don't know if you remember this, but I always had horrible hospital experiences. And one lady showed me everything, her scars, her bags, everything. And Keith Doherty and her standing there, we both go, <laughs> started gagging. That wasn't good. And uh, the time that Pastor Sawyer asked me to go to the hospital, he said, I need you to go see this person. And I forgot. And I went to, and finally the next day I go to the hospital. I'm like, I got to see this guy. And, and, and so I get there like five o'clock. I hate hospitals. This is why I'm an evangelist. And, and um, 
I, I go and I'm sitting down. I walk in. I go, Mr. Johnson. I don't know his name. Mr. Johnson. Huh? Yeah. Sat down for an hour and talked to that mug. Because y'all know the rule about hospital visitation. Do not stand up. Sit down. You can sit down for five minutes. They'll think you're there an hour. You stand up for an hour. They're like, well, they just stopped by. Said, hey. So you got to sit down. I mean, find an air conditioner and be like this. And so, I'll never forget, though, he said, go see this person at the hospital. And all of a sudden, I, I go and I'm sitting down and I say, yes, sir, we love you at Calvary Assembly. And, and um, man, I hope you're going to get better and not die. And I just, my bedside manner was horrible. Hey, why, is, why are you bleeding? And um, <laughs> I mean, just, I just wasn't good at it. And, 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 uh, and then all of a sudden, I get ready to leave. It's 6 o'clock in the evening. I will never forget this. And all of a sudden, I go, well, Mr. Johnson, I got to go. I was so proud because I had accomplished what you asked. And he goes, Johnson? <laughs> Who's Johnson? I went, oh, my God. And I ran out to the nurse's desk. I said, where's Mr. Johnson's room? Oh, he left an hour ago. <laughs> Dang it! Pastor, did you go see him? Kind of. <laughs> Pat. Remember when you looked at me one time and you said, you really believe in asking permission or asking forgiveness later, don't you? <laughs> let, me, let me share about this really quick because I want to get this out to you because it's just so good. But something God began to speak to me that I have to share this morning just for a few minutes is, is something called Gone Dark. I'm telling you, I discovered this three weeks ago. True revelation is simply to live. To live. Not die. To dance before him. To have fun in ministry. To praise even when that foolish parent tells you that you're the worst that's ever been at the church. I spent years competing with the last guy jealous of them instead of bringing them in and honoring them let me tell you something if you go to a new church one year after you get there bring the former youth pastor in as long as it's not it's clean and ask them to lay their mantle on you well that's weird but what if the kids start loving him let me tell you something the honor you give the honor you'll receive i didn't know that stuff nobody taught me that so i've competed against the last youth pastor. well so-and-so used to do it this way then you get smart. Well, so-and-so's not here anymore. Man, don't ruin their memories. Let them have a father that was there and now gone. And now you get to step in that. And Because in ministry, listen, I'm telling you, we treat ministry like foster parenting. And, and we're raising a bastardly generation that doesn't know who their father is. Because we think, okay, well, I'm, i got to resign. And when I leave and go to the next place, we go, oh, I'll never call them again. Why? Why do we make that rule? Are we, in the, we don't have a kingdom mindset. When our youth pastor left, I said, stay in touch with Nate. Call him. Yes, he'll love the new youth guy that's coming in. But I said, call him. Call all the kids. I don't care when my children's pastor was caught in homosexuality. Because God told me. 
And I called all six pastors in and I got down on my knees in front of them. And the Lord said, wash their feet and I'll show you something. It was a Monday morning. I felt death in the pot of stew. And I got out of bed. And I called all my staff off their off day. And I said, I need to pray for you. It's weird. I, I met him at the office. And some of, uh, some of my team in here remembers this. And I got in front of my children's pastor. And God said, tell him he's not a man. He's not operating as a man. Two weeks later, it came out that he had fallen morally and, and made some mistakes. Precious man. You know what we did? We threw a rope, not a rock. Now, in our denomination, they don't, they, you can't, can't fix them, apparently. I didn't believe that. Now, is he still going to be a children's pastor? No. Because I love what Cy Rogers said. You're, God can forget your sin, but biology doesn't. So whatever you do against your body, you're going to pay a price for it. My parents, my mom battles some things today because of the years of drugs. But you know what we did? We sent him away and we healed his family. And Danny Duvall took him into his church and loved him. And, and, and we kept paying him. I paid him. Paid him for like four months. Well, he messed up. I know. But his kids didn't. You know what I did that after that day? To both services? Because Larry Stockstill helped me walk through it and what I could and couldn't say. And we wept. And, and I sent everybody in our church to his house to love him. We sent our whole church. I'd say, go to his house right now and love him. Because, of course, he wasn't there. He was disgraced. Now he's successful. His marriage made it through it. His kids love Jesus. Oh, gosh, i got to get into this. I don't even know. I'm just yapping. And, but look what it says in Isaiah. Verse 50, verse 10. Or chapter 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord? Oh, by the way, I'm sharing something simply titled Gone Dark. It's going to be very transparent for just a moment. Who among you fears the Lord, obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Have you ever gone dark? You know, in the CIA, if somebody gets overexposed or somebody gets uh, in danger or too, much, too many people know about them, they, they'll go dark. They disappear. You, you have to, the FBI does the same thing. You have to go dark. And in ministry, it's the same, same thing. Let me tell you how this message was birthed. I went to visit my father about a year and a half ago. And after I visited him, my father was going through some major health issues, strokes, uh, heart attack, crazy stuff. They've, my parents have never lived since my sister died five years ago. They're living now. They're beginning to live. But I went to his house. He asked to meet with me and my brother, and he wanted to tell us about, you know, how to take care of my mom. And I'm like, Dad, please don't die. And, uh, and uh, uh, all the, you know, the stuff, the end-of-life talk. And he's doing great now. He's traveling and speaking. God healed him. But, but I'm in his house, Jamie, and, and I'm in his house all day long, and he said, I need to meet with you right now. So I drove to Tuscaloosa. My brother lives there. I go to his house. And gosh, I went to leave that day and something snatched me. Death snatched me. This is a year and three months ago, four months ago. And for the next six weeks, I walked through the darkest time of my life. Maybe it was mortality running into life I don't I don't know maybe it was the thought of losing my dad and 
I don't know, but for six weeks I went through depression. And depression, of course, is the depressing of emotions. And but eventually you can't hide that anymore. We can put the face on in ministry, but eventually you you sit there and you're you're wondering, can everybody see it? And 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 and, and you begin to wonder what, what's remember what I told you, I want a limp called brokenness. And so sometimes you have to walk through things. But I love this scripture. Who among you fears the Lord? Obeys the word of his servant. Let him who how many of you battle depression lately? Raise your hand, be honest. I will tell you that I take a natural herb every day to keep this from happening. Yeah, it's called St. John Wards. It works. Because I don't want to be ruled by my emotions. I want to be a man of honor. And if you are ruled by your emotions and if you hate yourself, you'll sin against yourself. But God showed me something when I walked through this. And see, we know that God is light. And I'm preaching gone dark. But 1 John 1, 5, I, I, I'm telling you, I mean, you're the, gosh, you're the preachers. And so uh, this, this, in essence, is the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you that God is light, pure light. We know we're his lamps. Psalms 18, 28, you, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. These are great scriptures, aren't they? You can just share them at funerals. And, and um we know we reflect him and have to be free. First John 1, 6, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. I have learned that most of us, though, build our theology off our pain. Each level that you preach from is the level that you have just walked through. And, and so I've learned that there's some things. And, and, and I've also learned that there will never be a prophetic move of God until first there is a mourning spirit. It's the mourners that birth the prophetic move of God. Am I right? Nehemiah, Isaiah 6. It's in the morning that the prophetic is birthed. So if you've been walking through a morning season, you're about to birth the prophetic move of God. It was Martha that went and got Jesus and said, Hey, my brother's dead. It birthed a new dispensation, the raising of the dead. It birthed something so powerful that nobody understood. And, and, but did you know that sometimes I think God is the one responsible for our darkness? Isaiah 45, I form the light and create darkness. I make harmonies and create discords. I can, I, God, do all these things. And if you're a leader and you've ever faced extreme overwhelming emotions that have defrauded you of life, then you probably are one of the best lovers of people. You're probably brilliant. Probably a writer, a planner, an organizer, developer, visionary. I say that because you're on the devil's radar. And I felt this for six weeks. A death spirit came on me. And for six weeks, I would preach. I would worship. I would dance. I would cry out. I looked holy. I was the first one to the altar. All those things. But I was in darkness. And I did not do. I've never understood people to get depressed. In fact, they made me mad because I'm like, shake it off. Never forget, Nate fell on his bike when he was little. And, and uh, uh he fell and scratched his arm real bad. And I'm like, he's just kept crying for like an hour. And I'm like, son, shake it off. You know, we do that to our boys. They got bones sticking out. Shake it off. Come on, what's up? They can't see. They're looking off. I mean, their eyes are looking that way when they're talking to you. And you're, but you're fine. Finally, he wouldn't quit crying. He was like, fine, we're going to the hospital. How's that feel? We're going to the hospital. They're going to cut your arm off. We get to the hospital, doctor takes him in for x-rays. There's a bone, uh, a rock stuck to the bone on the inside of his arm. And he goes, he really should have been crying. 
I hate me as a parent. Because some things you can't shake off. Some things a church service won't do it. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. See, it's, again, I want to get back to this. The spirit of this age is to make sin, sin seem normal and righteousness strange. It's Matthew 11, 28. The reason why I say that is because you'll begin to look at sin as an appetizing, dangling piece of fruit. Because if I just tap into that, if I just eat that, then uh, maybe I'll understand the world. It's the Adam and Eve lie. There's five types of darkness that a leader falls prey to. I'm going to say them because I want to get right to the end of this. Five types of darkness that a leader falls prey to. Self-depreciation and despair. Psalms 142. It, listen, by the way, if you ever get depressed, there are scriptures and Job's and Psalms that will make you feel better about your day. Just read Asaph. That brother had bad days all the time. Great worship leader, but he was ready to quit half the time. Read Job. But when you read Job, read it with the voice of E-R, or Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Well, Pooh, lost my tail. So when you, like if you're doing your morning devotions, shift into the Eeyore voice. Oh, God. I even hate my mother in the day I was born. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> Watch. As I sink in despair, my spirit ebbing away. You know, I'm, you know how I'm feeling. You know the danger I'm in. The trap's hidden in my path. I grew up in a depressed house. I grew up when I'd get off the school bus. I didn't know if my mom would be sitting in the corner in the dark in her pajamas for three days. I didn't know. That's why I fell so deeply in love with Karen because she's joy. But then later I found out that she battled some of this stuff, but she didn't want me to know because I didn't let her be Karen for the first few years of marriage. Some of you heard about it yesterday, ladies, when God set her free. Five types of darkness, self-depreciation, secret sin. Oh, my goodness. It's the loudest voice in the room. You know what? People that are dealing with secret sin, they're just weird. They just get on your nerves. They talk 100 miles an hour. They just want to be close to you. How to... <laughs> the, minute, the moment we begin, when a leader begins to believe they can have secret sin, they lose the ability to know right from wrong. And the moment we begin to ignore the inner spirit, man screaming for us to get free is the moment we begin to slow death. And the greatest hypocrisy is to stand on stage and your giftings keep producing while your character is dead. That's that injustice thing. Remember what I said? Two types of people in the Bible that God will forget. God has a memory. He forgets things. God forgets things. He forgot Israel. That's what the Bible says. Until they all sighed. A sigh is a deflating of the old breath and bringing in a new. It says, and all of Israel sighed and God remembered his covenant. It's almost like he had a sticky note. Oh, that's right. Take Israel to promised land. No, it was Kairos. And it wasn't until they all got free. It says all of Israel sighed. Even the babies are laying in their bed. They're all working. They're all building. They're all, they're all getting beat every day. And it's just, it's just part of life. I got beat today, honey. Oh, awesome. Did you, get your, did you, did you make any, any mud bricks? Yeah, we had fun with that. I got hit. I got punched. Well, welcome to slavery. It's what we do. But Pharaoh takes care of us. And then all of a sudden it says, but all of Israel sighed. And God went, I remember my covenant with them. And began their deliverance, the Bible says. So have you ever just gone, 
That's when heaven goes, I hear you. Even the babies in their cribs went, at the same time, daddy, one of his dragging something for Pharaoh. And God remember, it's not until you deflate the old and bring in the new, until you take in a fresh spirit that you begin to get free. But you don't have conferences like this every week. You can't just go and get free. You can't go and hide away because we're not allowed to. We're supposed to look, we're supposed to go eat lunch with students at schools and we feel weird when we walk in the door. Please speak to me, somebody. I got hamburgers from McDonald's. Somebody be my friend. <laughs> you, ever, you still feel peer pressure when you go to schools to eat lunch? Gosh, I did. Felt like the popular kid when four or five would say, hey, Pastor Pat. I'm like, I'm popular. Watch. Psalm 714. Look at the guy. Oh, I love this. Secret sin. He had sex with sin. This is a great verse. He's pregnant with evil. Oh, look. He's having a baby. A lie baby. Oh, you lie baby. Don't you love this verse? That's an incredible verse. Five types of darkness. Wrong motivations. Wrong motivations. Some of us went into ministry to be seen, but once we got in ministry, we just realized we needed to hide. But we get, we get offended and we get hurt because so-and-so didn't open a door for you. Karen Wheaton is very close to me, and she said, Pat, you and I have an anointing, and that is to be a door opener. We are butlers. I love opening doors. I love opening doors for people. I love seeing them go out and fly. I love seeing them spread their wings. That's why we're having this conference. I want to see you fly. I want to see you soar. I want to stand back and cheer. I mean, I'm a, I'm a cheerleader. Man. I want to see that. But, but when people don't do that for you, it's really easy to get offended. Matthew 7, 16, who preachers are in the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with, um, with their bad apples are going to be chopped off and burned. Listen, sometimes we, we need to be careful because we'll cause injustice. Five types of darkness, offenses. You know, Proverbs 18, 19, offended brothers, harder to win than a fortified city. We all know that verse, right? And then number five is pride. We don't even go there, do we? Because at most of these conferences, all we do is mark, walk around and mark our territory. We stand in the hallway and talk about what we're running. I, my God, I hope nobody asks you how many you run on Wednesday night. We don't care. You pass out $5 at the door and you'll have 5,000 people. But are you discipling them? At your lock-ins, are they getting thrown in jail? What do they look like? Jesus discipled 12, lost two, got one back, and we think he's the greatest. And we feel weird because we only run 110 in our youth ministry. And we go to another conference and listen to a guy that runs a thousand in our youth ministry. And all it was, was he stepped into something called powerful anointing and luck. Because if he went to your city, he may not be able to do that. Send him to Salt Lake City. Where everybody smiles and everybody's blonde. Except for those two. gone dark most just can't get over it you can't get over darkness i'm telling you most can't you know why because the jezebel spirit being released in the age today right now is a constricting spirit what did god tell elijah it's going to rain but you're going to have to run so in between the rain and the running jezebel killed a whole bunch of prophets because if he can kill you before if that if that spirit can kill you before it actually rains it's one 
The Jezebel spirit is a constricting spirit that will tell you, serve the world and serve God too. It is, a, it is a spirit that squeezes the life out of you. It is a python spirit. It's in the church today. It's that one word somebody can say on a Sunday morning that's mad at you about how dirty the van was that consumes you. It constricts you. And you start, you were running so good. We had an incredible youth convention and some guy walks up and says, the Royal Rangers needed the van today and it's filthy. And Royal Rangers and I just never got along. I don't know why because at some point you got to take the uniform off and and isn't that what the scouts are for Stella Christmas tree and and so I'm sorry I'm not if you're rangers I love you okay I love you you're raising weird kids but I love you and now watch I'm sorry just can't get over it you can get over a pastor anyway we had some royal ranger people and overexposed Elijah remember I'm the only one left. Overwhelmed. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit makes intercession. Read that in the Message Bible. It says he makes words out of your groans. Your prayer language might just be, ah! God understood it. When you get overthrown, David understood this as he prayed in Gethsemane. Oh no, Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. So did David. When Absalom broke his heart. When you get overcome, we overcome by the blood and word of our testimony. But you can get overcome. When you get passed over, we won't go there because, you know, God has the power to promote. But I think in ministry today, we're taught we do the promoting. And Let me give you seven precepts for dark times. And I'm going to turn it over to my friend. Because you have to know when the batteries and the flashlight are out. Can I just make a statement to you? Pastor Sawyer and Phyllis nailed it yesterday. I have a text I want to send you. Where's Brian at? Is Brian in here? Brian, Brian, you, you, Pastor, turn around. This guy right here from New Orleans. He, you should read the text that he sent his wife yesterday after your teaching. Listen to me. My kids didn't sign up for ministry. Don't take your stuff home. Keep your bedroom clean. Don't talk about the church in your bedroom. The place is holy. We made a rule years ago. Anyone that visits our house can't go in the love palace. You know what I'm talking about, love palace. And... Uh, business takes place <laughs> we really did make that rule Thanksgiving we always have about 100 people at our house and last year I went walking to the house and there's all kind of people laying on our bed in the bedroom we don't mind that or them being in our we love having everybody there we have two shifts all the four runners that can't go home there with us and like 100 people but I walked past the bedroom and there's folks just laying on our bed watching TV I said hey, you guys gotta get out of here <laughs> don't defile <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I made it sound. Yeah, let's move on. And uh, seven precepts for darkness. Number one, leader, you will face dark times. You'll face dark times. Psalms 107, verse 14. He brought them out of darkness and deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred. When my sister died on me five years ago, two weeks ago, five years ago, three weeks ago, five years ago, my hope died for about six months walked out on a balcony at Planet Shakers in Australia and I said where are you I don't feel you anymore 
Now remember, this sermon was birthed after six weeks of death being on me. But Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I know what it's like for 10 years for Karen and I to want to have another child and every month get our heart broken by the cycle. God's word explains in depth that Moses, Elijah, David, Jonah, Simon, Peter, Paul, all faced dark times. We know that Saul faced demonic powers that came against him. Not, not the apostle Paul, King Saul. Saul battled depression and discouragement as the king of Israel. It led to his demise, by the way, because he never got free. Because there's at some point that even worship won't chase away your demons. By the way, let me make a statement. We are raising a generation, and we better be careful of this, that loves worship more than word. And we're creating a Saul generation that loves worship because it soothes their demons. We can sing songs, and, and they don't even mention Jesus. And if we're not careful, and I said this on stage with Jesus Culture in front of 5,000 students, and kids ran to the altar. But I made this statement, and I said, the problem in this generation is we love worship because it soothes our demons. And so if we ever put, put, put you know, worship in word, if we ever put a David in their life, they're going to throw spears at him. So we're raising up Saul's that love worship because it makes them feel good about themselves. They love basically dancing before the Lord and worshiping. But if you try to preach, they're going to talk, they're going to wander. We must shut that down because John chapter 4 says, worship me in spirit and truth. Worship and word. You got to get this what I'm saying. Get back to the word. Smith Wigglesworth said in 1947, after the new church planting movement wants, 1947, in England and the U.S., when it wants, the church will come back to spirit and word. I'll, I'll email you the prophecy. It's unbelievable. And I'm America will awaken and England will awaken with spirit and word. We are stepping out of the church planning movement and we got one on every corner now and and now all of a sudden and yet we're still the biggest mission land in the world and and so obviously that's not working and so after the church planting movement begins to wind it says immediately smith Wigglesworth said there will be a new movement that breaks out in america of worship and word where people will want sound doctrine again it won't just be about sitting around and five ways to tie your shoes and showing a clip from nemo and not having an altar call but it's going to happen is people are going to say things are going to hell and back and the nation is falling apart we don't even know who to vote for we have no idea what's going on we need the word of God to come alive again somebody give God a praise offering Paul Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 1 I despaired of life he said I got suicidal Psalms 42 verse 3 my tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long where is your God I remember how I used to be the worship leader, how I used to lead the procession and worship, but my soul is depressed. My soul is downcast. I'm weary. This is what he said. There are tens of thousands of leaders that, re that live their life remembering what it used to be like. I'm, I'm going to jump ahead. Let's go, let's go to point two. I'm going to skip all those scriptures. Move on. Realize darkness is the enemy way of keeping you at bay. Galatians 5, 7. Hey, psst, you were running really good race. What happened? Who tripped you? That spirit doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy. Just preaching about gone dark. The moment you give in to the spirit, you are effectively removed from the battles that lead to victories. You've shut the door of opportunity. The moment you give into that spirit of darkness, you have allowed yourself. If you're battling that spirit, you are a threat. You are dangerous to the enemy. The enemy knows that if he can get you to go dark, you've removed yourself from being effective. You've removed yourself from being in the battle. When all kings went off to war, David stayed home. Got up, walked around, saw in his 
family died that night on the balcony. Number three, leaders must be careful not to allow the plight of man or vision to consume them. Stop, listen to me. Listen to me. God gives you the vision and the burden to do something about it, right? But not to let it kill you. It's Ezra 9. Ezra, that brother, look what he did. The evening sacrifice I rose from my depression. He had a right to. Having rent my undergarment, my mantle, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Have risen higher than our heads and our, our guilt is mounted to the heavens. What do you mean? Can I make a statement? Your dying won't change them. Pastor Sawyer, I don't want to embarrass you. But I walked into your office years ago on a Sunday afternoon when some demon-possessed man had led an improper revolution against you. You're still here so I can share this. If you weren't still here, I couldn't share it. But I remember you sitting in your desk, weeping before the Lord. This man tried to confront you in a service, made up lies. But you never railed an accusation back to him. I was so mad at you. Because I'm a preacher's kid. I'm like, let's just go kick the crap out of somebody. Let's fight right now. Thanks for teaching me that day. Because I know you went dark that day. I know you went through a season. I know you wanted to die. But you didn't show it to those around you. He, he understood. Listen to what I'm saying. I got to hurry. Because, because a leader has to know when to shut the valve of ministry off. Uh, I'm, I'm so amazed. And finally, leaders are getting this. They're taking sabbaticals in the summertime. Six weeks, eight weeks. They think they got to be at the church ten years to do that. But really, you should do one every, two, every year to two years. You should take six weeks off. Why? Because Isaiah, where are you at? Isaiah Beiser. Are you in here? Uh, Isaiah, there you are. His father's one of my best friends. Pastor's in San Francisco has taken a church that was dead. The place where Smith Wigglesworth raised a man from the dead has taken a church that had nothing in it and it is exploding, rocking a city. But his father has Parkinson's disease that he got from getting shots as a missionary, uh, we believe, most likely from malaria shots. And his dad is one of my heroes. I write about him in my book. But I asked his dad one day, I said, because I'm pastoring just, I mean, I loved it. God exploded the church because I believe anything we touch, God blesses because we have favor on us. You see what I'm saying? He likes his kids. And, but at the same time, it wasn't my DNA and at that time in my life and and it just it wasn't it wasn't fun it wasn't fun I mean we had three services that were packed out but it wasn't fun and 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 uh, uh um but I'll never forget I asked Forrest Beiser I said give me one word that describes ministry and he said okay constant it never stops when you're on vacation it never stops when you're going to bed it doesn't it doesn't stop it drips it drips it drips some some that are strong learn to live like that but but i i, I don't think i'm strong enough to handle that and and uh because uh, ministry is supposed to be fun number four going dark forces others to live through your night season your kids will tiptoe through the house not wanting to offend mommy and daddy Can we go somewhere tonight? It's okay if we don't. Mm. 
Men, your wife will spend her life feeling inadequate around you. They'll long for better days and a shorter life because we, your spouse will live their life tiptoeing around the house of darkness just hoping to find a light to turn on for you because inevitably they blame themselves for what the church caused in you. And that's not fair to them. Please don't make the church look dirty to them. Please don't make the church look ugly to them. That's who Jesus died for. His bride. That's why I said, get your arm on the right arm. You're not supposed to walk them down the aisle. You're supposed to hold his arm. You're not called to be the groom. You're called to be the bride. The minute you quit being the bride and try to be the groom is the minute you become a substitute teacher. And John 15 said, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you mess with me, I'll cut you off and throw you in the fire. Jesus gets very jealous. I got to hurry. I got to close right here and give it to Jamie. But listen. A sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bone. Proverbs 14:30. Proverbs 14.30, bring that up. A sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. Number number five, your your destiny, listen, it's about going dark. Your destiny is sitting in the balance as you swim in the darkness. Don't allow yourself to become a statistic. The sooner you get free, the quicker you understand your destiny. Isaiah, I love Isaiah 60, verse 1 in the Amplified Bible. That means it's louder. Now watch. Look what it says. Arise from the depression and prostration which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. True revelation is to live. True revelation is to live. I'm telling you, it's so simply stupid, but it's the truth. True revelation is to live. True revelation is to be alive in Christ. True revelation is to enjoy life. True revelation is to pack a lunch one day and grab your kids and say, let's go to a park. True revelation is to have fun again. True revelation is to enjoy what God is doing. Realize in the darkness, oh, here's a big one. God can speak to you. In fact, Job tells us he even reveals treasures. I've got four books that are birthed right now that were birthed out of darkness. Four books. Jeremy, how in the world would you be able to talk about the hard way? See, it's in all things he works according to his purpose. Some of you have heard my message. It's on purpose. Purpose means created for public display. A laying down in view of others. Those are the two definitions. So, in other words, your drug addiction, preacher's kid, all the hell, the aneurysm, all the different things you walk through. I sat on the plane reading your book when you sent it to me in, you know, email and weeping. Looking out the window, weeping as I read your story. But see, true revelation comes in the darkness. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. Look what it goes on to say in Job. I love this verse. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and I walked through by his light, I walked through the darkness. The first thing God did in all humanity was speak to the darkness. He brought nothing from into something he raised it up my wife has a message back there called hope floats how to defeat depression that god has the power to reach into the abyss that the uh, the darkness and pull something out so powerfully that he creates humanity out of nothing god is the king of creating humanity out of nothing he speaks to the darkness and says let there be It's Isaiah 45. I will give you treasures of darkness. I read that to you a little while ago, didn't I? No, I didn't actually. I read Isaiah 51. Watch what it says. Riches toward in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name. 
Isaiah Ephesians chapter 5 verse 13 everything exposed don't read the rest of this you'll learn how to be a husband but but watch everything exposed by light because you can't love your wife till you love yourself watch but it says exposed by light becomes visible for it is light that makes everything visible this is why it says wake up I walked over to my sister's dead body laying in Tuscaloosa in the room they put dead people to make and they they, they clean them up and you're able to go in and before they take them to the morgue and she's got ice on her eyes because my father had eye transplants and so all of our all of our driver's license say if we die save our eyes for somebody else and in other words after you die your vision can go forth and so from some of you that are healthy your heart can too I walked over to her and I leaned over and I said, wake up, wake up, please wake up. She did. I called David Hogan, get him here, get somebody here to raise the dead. Because I didn't have the faith for it at that point. I'm almost done. Watch, watch. God's about to speak. Remember, daddy, daddy, thank you for adopting me. It's about to happen in here. <laughs> it's going to be cool because God is so good and he's such a resurrection God in the darkness oh this is a bad one in the darkness your motives are exposed you know the first pastor of the first church Simon Peter when did he grow in the night he ran into the night you grow in your darkness I'm not going to read all that but how oh, Simon Peter well maybe I will It's when the light comes up, you'll see him on the bank, though. Remember Luke 22? I'll be the first one to die for you. Send me to jail. 30 verses later. I don't know him, blankety blank. <laughs> Peter went from, yes, Lord. Remember what happened? Remember all of a sudden? The Bible says that, that, that Judas came into the garden. Jesus grew in the night. That's when he figured out, I can sweat this. I can sweat this thing. I can sweat the weight of a generation. I can, I can sweat their sin, and I can take the punishment on the cross. I can take all. See, some of you don't even realize when you give an altar call, the minute somebody gets saved, it's retroactive. Their sin pulls off of them, shoots through space and time, 2,000 years. Their sin is darting through space and time, and all of a sudden, as Jesus is standing there, it goes whoosh, to the cross. You don't even understand how powerful it is when you get somebody to say a sinner's prayer because stuff lifts off of them and to the cross. When Colossians says he nailed your sin to the tree. You don't even understand how powerful that is. We give an altar call. Hey, say the sinner's prayer, and you don't even know what's happening. I have a, I have a message back there called, Please Forgive Me, Jesus. The, what it took for somebody to make that one statement, that statement took thousands of years to say, Jesus, please forgive me. Remember what happened in Matthew 14 during the fourth watch of the night? Jesus went out to them. They were terrified. It's a ghost. Don't be afraid, he said. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Peter got out of the boat and walked into the water and started sinking. That's when he grew. Peter always grew in the dark. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. I'm not going to call you by your new name. I'm going to call you by your old name because you're operating like him right now. And so broken reed, broken reed, Satan wants to sift you. And I'm going to let him because after this, you'll preach about it. It'll be a testimony. Then we know he denies Jesus. 
Remember what happened when in the garden? Remember he cut the ear off Malchus? His, uh, 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 the servant's name, Malchus. The priest reached up and chopped his ear off. Peter was a man of the sword. That's why the upper room was so critical for him because the sword became the word. Remember the first miracle Jesus did? Poured oil, poured wine into the glasses. The last miracle he did on earth. Poured wine into the glasses again, the upper room. The retroactive. Or excuse me, there are two clauses that join together. But what I love about the verse about the garden, remember what happened? Judas came in. What did Judas do? Anybody remember what he did? What did he do? Anybody, somebody tell me what he did. He kissed him. Remember what, what did Jesus say to him though first? Friend. He called Judas friend. Psst. Jesus, you're missing it on this one. He's not your friend. Yes, he is. Judas is your friend. Remember in Mark the 8th chapter when Peter suddenly looks at Jesus and said, hey, hey, um, hey, um, tear down Caesar's empire, raise us up, knights of the round table. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Why would he call the New Testament pastor who would be crucified upside down for him, Satan? And why would he call Jesus, Judas' friend? Judas walks in the garden, goes to kiss him, the darkness. Remember, it's the dark times you grow. And all of a sudden, he goes to kiss him. And he said, do what you came to do, friend. Why do you call him that? Because the Judas is in your life are your friend. Why? Because Simon Peter is Satan because he was trying to keep Jesus from seeing his father. But Judas, with the kiss of death, was making it possible for him to see his dad again. The, the Judas is in your life are your friends because they push you to God. The Simon Peters in your life are the Satans because they keep you from seeing him. You have to have betrayers in your life. That's what pushes you back to him. Got to have somebody break your heart. Ah, that's free. I didn't mean to do all that. He did, denies him, and then all of a sudden, he sees him in the darkness of the night. Remember Luke chapter 5, he called Peter in, into the ministry and said, Cast your net on the other side. You've been fishing all night. They were frustrated. And I got a dear friend. His name's Randy Howe. He's one of my best friends. And Randy and I go fishing, and I won't catch nothing, and he'll catch 50. Ticks me off. He's just like a... Keep trying all these hobbies to see which one's going to work. <laughs> so I figured out if I eat Oreos, I just, I enjoy it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a secret. Last week I was in a hotel room and some, they put Oreos in my room because it's my favorite cookie. And I literally <laughs> stacked like 17 of those white things up in the middle and made a cookie. Is that weird? I was by myself. Shouldn't have told you that. Let's move on. <laughs> wow, that was weird. If you're watching by internet, that was a blip on the screen. Did not happen. By the way, we had over a thousand people watching yesterday. Give God a praise offering. Isn't that awesome? And in John 21, after Jesus appeared to him, he said, hey, Peter. Remember, he went fishing. He took everybody with him that didn't know how to fish either. Took Nathaniel. Nathaniel didn't know how to fish. Because when you get into your darkness, you're going to carry the people with you that love you. But then be Jesus standing on the bank, and he says, what did Peter do? First time he stayed with the catch. Second time he didn't want the catch anymore. He wanted Jesus. It's a revolution of ministry. The evolution of ministry, excuse me. He says, cast your net the other side. Oh, you're going to do this again. You did this in Luke 5 when you called me. Peter goes, no, I don't want that no more.
swims up to the shore. Peter, if you love me, if you love me, Peter, feed my lambs, feed my babies. If you love me, feed my sheep. Preach the gospel. Let me close. I'm done. Jesus understood going dark, didn't he? He disappeared from the age of 12 to 30. That's why the first persons he went to see was the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. One was his uncle who had probably raised him when his father died. Because when you finally resurrect, the first person you need to go see is your family members. So, but from 12 to 30, he disappeared. We don't even know what happened. We just knew he grew in wisdom, stature, and strength, according to Luke chapter 2, verse 48, and, and favor with God. And man, that's all we know about. That's his resume for his 12 through 30 years. And, and uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, look what it says, Luke 22. Every day I was with him in the temple courts, and you do not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then he's on the cross. Jesus was always slipping away. The Bible says he prayed in the lonely places. If you ever study that, what that actually means, I looked it up one day because I wanted to understand that when I preached it. And, uh, and so I began to study it. And the lonely places literally are the places yet to be cultivated by a shepherd. In other words, Jesus prayed where churches were to be planted. He, played in uncult- he prayed in uncultivated regions waiting on a shepherd. <laughs> Jesus prayed where you're supposed to be at. We know that Matthew 27, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, Father, Father, where are you, Dad? Where'd you go? We've been hanging out on life for 33 and a half years. I've been slipping away and talking to you. Where are you at, Dad? Till the ninth hour, darkness. Darkness, 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 darkness. And this is it. I'll never forget one night. I was sound asleep, and all of a sudden I heard, Daddy! Daddy! I jumped out of bed. I ran upstairs to Nate's room. I went, what? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I just needed to know you were home. I went, what? He said, you've been gone a lot. I need to know you were at home. I curled up in bed next to him. It's in the darkness. The father hears the voice. I'm telling you. And this is it. What I'm learning about fathers is fathers do not make you sign a doctrinal statement. Passion of protege is determined by the pursuit of the mentor. So if you're waiting on somebody to say, I want to be your daddy. Passion of the protege is determined by the pursuit of the mentor. You go find them and bring something to the table when you do. Don't just be a consumer. True proof of spiritual maturity is when you are no longer just a consumer you are a producer if you notice people aren't taking your calls it's probably because you only consume and I'm sorry if it gets to that point in the day where I have to be able to take something back home I'm not answering your call I have to protect that that's the way it is this is the end of this talking about gone dark Jamie, I was preaching in Florida Youth Conference. It went through a weekend, Sunday morning. It's rare that I don't do a Sunday morning somewhere. But this particular place, I agreed to do the youth conference through Sunday morning. And 
just last a year ago last March I was just there last Sunday with David Garcia at his church two weeks ago Sunday incredible church in Tampa we had fire he's become a father in my life and But I'm doing a youth conference and I got up. This is the craziest thing. This is a crazy story. But for six weeks I had been depressed since I'd been to my father's house. Depressed, oppressed, crushed. Could not get free. Preaching fake. Anybody ever tells you you don't have to put a mask on a ministry? That person obviously pastors 10 people. It's kind of like saying, hey, you know what? We're taught in Bible college. It's God, family, ministry. That's crap too. It doesn't work that way. It's a triangle. It's God, family, ministry. The three work together. If my relationship with God's messed up, my ministry and my family's messed up, my relationship with my family's messed up, those two are messed up. They, they flow. They flow. It's not because there will be times when one has to take more attention than the other. Do the youth camp. But I was, got up early one Sunday morning and I said, I can't take it anymore. I'm driving this old car it's a youth pastor's car you know what I'm talking about you've smelt it and I was going to the football field in town there in Florida to go jog around their track and I'm driving I'm driving the windows down I said I need you God I need you I got to preach and an hour and a half I got to preach now the crazy thing is I go to this football field the janitor of the high school didn't know I was there I pull the car in the gate was open while I'm out there talking to God he locks me in the car and all I had to call the police Hey, psst, I'm stuck in your football field. This really happened. Quentin, were you with me? Thanks for rescuing me. Thank you. A black man's got to know how to get a white man out of trouble. And so, all of a sudden, of course, I didn't know I was locked in at that time, but this is the first time he ever told me to dance before him, and I'm in the middle of a football field, and I'm jogging, and there's a giant turtle on the track running with me. He was beating me. I'd be running, I'd run around, I'd see it, and I'd go, come on! But finally, I'm standing out there, true story, and I, I called my father. The Lord said, call your dad. Six weeks of depression. I said, I need you. He said, what's up? I said, six, six weeks ago when I was at your house, something got on me, and the Lord told me, you're the only one that can fix me. He said, okay, son. I said, tell me who I am. This happened a year and a half ago. Shh. Preached all over the world. And on speakerphone, I held the phone up, standing in the middle of the 50-yard line in a football field all by myself, locked in, didn't know it. And my dad began to speak life over me, began to prophesy my future. And that thing lifted. And I danced before the Lord for the first time ever publicly. Why did I tell you all that? Why was Jesus able to go through the dark times? Because in Matthew chapter 3, See, it's the Father that has the power to declare your future. Unless a Father tells you who you are, you'll always run around trying to steal someone else's identity. David never told Absalom who he was, so Absalom built a monument to himself, 1 Kings 18. And you can either build a monument or lead a movement. So the greatest sermon you'll ever preach in your youth service is not, let's turn the world upside down. Let's set it on fire. See, I've been seeing awakening in churches lately. Outpourings. That's not what it's about. greatest thing you'll ever do is walk up to somebody and just say you're great huh last night I'm on the football field Nate's coaching junior high here and all of a sudden this I mean this little kid he's in sixth grade I mean he's got big old thick glasses got his helmet on and he weighs maybe 
honest to God, 70 pounds. And these big boys out there. And all of a sudden, this little boy walks up to Nate, and he goes, he's standing here, coach. <laughs> he's just so nerdy, even nasal. I mean, it's, coach, put me in. I want to get in, coach. Nate looks down at him and smiles. He goes, now listen, there's no sixth graders playing. And you're probably not going to get in tonight because I don't want you to get hurt. But you're going to get in eventually. I'm standing beside him. Nate actually didn't know I was there yet. I was standing behind him. He didn't even know I was behind him. But I saw him do that and I went. He declared his future. You're going to get in eventually. So hold on. If you get in tonight, you're going to get killed. They're going to snap you in half. Nate said, I love you too much to watch you die. But a true father has the power to declare future. A true father has an anointing. Remember when Jesus went down in the water and I'm done. Joe, will will you help me? And James. It's when you hear the father's voice that you know you're safe. Thank you for listening. We pray that this word would sit in your spirit and transform you. For more information or to become a covenant partner with Mercy Seat Ministries and Evangelist Pat Karen Chatsline, you can log on to www.mercyseatministries.com.